If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take those out and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one of those um, pew Bibles that's hopefully right in front of you there in in the rack. Last week we tried to preach through the book of Isaiah. Um, This week we're going to hit Proverbs. If you're visiting with us um, at the Point Community Church, what we normally do, our normal rhythm, is we generally uh, are working our way through a book of the Bible. So right now we're in the book of John. We'll pick back up in John chapter 12. Starting next week, we'll be in the book of John pretty much um, all of 2019. We'll be finishing that up. May take a, a few small breaks in there, but it will take us a, another huge ch- uh, portion of the year. We'll be going through uh, the book of John. But since today is um, in between holiday, we're just doing a standalone. And I just wanted to share a little bit out of the book of, uh, of Proverbs. So you're there. If you're not there, it's page uh, 527. Like, you, now you tell me if you're using one of those uh, pew Bibles. All right. Proverbs 1, a certain chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll look at the first seven verses. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Lord, may we draw near to you first with hearts, that fear you, that know you, that rightly respond to you, that submit and humbly worship you. That's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. And so may we begin there. Lord, I pray for those in the room that we would all be full of right fear, the right response, that you would come and teach us and give us instruction and give us wisdom. I pray that there would be none here that would be the fool, that would despise wisdom and despise instruction. They would be haughty in their heart, Lord. Father, give us understanding as we approach this uh, time together and understanding this. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You could be seated. As you, as you sit down, maybe uh, if you want to jot something down, uh, I know that uh, oftentimes in the beginning of the year, starting in January, many of you tr- um, try to attempt to read the Bible through in a year. And that's a great thing to attempt. Don't let your past failures, right? Your past failures uh, dictate what you're going to do in the future. Like, who knows, this may be the year that you follow all the way through or you make it past the book of Leviticus. For a lot of us, that's kind of where we get bogged down. Maybe, just maybe, this will be the year. And even if you miss out, like, pick back up in that. And so if you're going to do that, I just want to make, a, make you aware of a helpful tool, something I found recently that I'm super excited about. It's called uh, the Read Scripture app. 
So if you, that's what you can write down. Read scripture if you use apps on your phone, if you have a smartphone, you can download that and uh, apply it to your phone. And not only is it a helpful guide in helping you come up with a plan, a Bible reading plan, but the thing that I'm super impressed by this group is they put out videos. And so each book of the Bible starts out with an overview of that book and shows you how the book's put together and keeps kind of helps you to keep the book in the context of the story to God, of God. They also pick up on difficult, different biblical themes that happen. So again, you can keep the Bible connected the way that it's supposed to be, that it is 66 books all telling one story, the story of God. And so um, it's put out by um, the Bible Project. In fact, next week when we start into the book of John, we'll show uh, one of those videos to kind of help us to understand what the book of John is all about. So again, it's the Read Scripture app. Hopefully you're going to do that um, and try to and just dive into a biblical reading. If not, here's another great way that you can read the Bible every day is um, let's talk about the book of Proverbs. So the book of Proverbs was written by King Solomon. Most of the book of Proverbs is written by uh, King Solomon, who is David's king. We talked a little bit about him last week. Um, King Solomon actually, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes three books of the Bible. Um, He writes, um, I'll, I'll pause and let you try to guess in your own mind what those are. Maybe you know them, but he writes the book of Proverbs. He writes Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. And he also writes the biblical book of Ecclesiastes. In fact, some scholars would say that he probably wrote Song of Solomon. It's all about love and relationships. And it is, um, was probably written when he was a young man. The book of Proverbs was probably written during the time when he is the king. So it's probably written in his middle age years. And then the book of Ecclesiastes, he writes probably as a, as a young man. Again, those are speculations. Scripture doesn't tell us that. But um, the book of Proverbs is a fantastic book of the Bible. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, just like there are 28 to 31 days uh, in a month. So maybe, just maybe, God is kind of prescribing to us in a way that you could read a chapter of Proverbs every day and work your way through pretty much the book of Proverbs for, uh, for t- over 12 times in one year. And let me just tell you, like, gosh, you would be so much wiser if you would do that. Like there's been seasons in my life when I have done that, when I've read through the book of Proverbs and even approaching it like that, where you're reading a chapter a day for several consecutive months and you begin to really understand the book of Proverbs and gain a lot of uh, biblical insight and wisdom. That's what Proverbs is all about, wisdom. In fact, Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. That as king, basically he asked God to make him wise so that he could not, he doesn't ask for riches, he asked for wisdom so that he could uh, um, lead God's people in wisdom. And so God gives him both, gives him both wisdom and he gives him riches. And we see that when we come to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is not the biblical version of Chinese fortune cookies. For those of you that have tried to read the book of Proverbs and you read the latter sections of them, it feels like maybe that's the way that it is. It feels like little, as we were saying, these little pithy statements that are all like kind of disjointed one from another and it's just one after another after another, but that's really not what's happening in the book of Proverbs. The back two thirds feel like that, but the first third, it's it's so important in us understanding what God is doing in the book of Proverbs. The first nine chapters are kind of the key that unlock the door that lets us in to see what's happening in the latter section. Proverbs are proverbs. They're not promises and they're not laws. In Robert Stein's book on biblical interpretation, Robert Stein, he Um, a book on hermeneutics, he defines the biblical proverbs like this. He says, a biblical proverb is a short, 
pithy statement that expresses a wise general truth concerning life from a divine perspective. So they are concise statements of a principle or truth. They are true in general. Proverbs can have exceptions and thus are not to be considered absolute laws and neither are they to be considered promises. So we just sing a song about God is sovereign over us. And in that song, it's, it, it's filled with promises. But we have to be careful that we don't approach, we approach Proverbs the way that it's intended with the intended genre that God has given us to us and don't approach it as these are promises of God. They are not. There are promises that we hold true that are our hope, but Proverbs is not filled with promises. It's filled with true statements that are general truth, true, true in general, but not but can have exceptions to them. In Proverbs, God is revealing the good life to us. God is revealing to us how to live the good life. And we could say this in a very general sense. Generally, there are two ways that you can live life. There are two ways that you can go about, you can go about attacking and living life. One of those ways is you can learn and live. The other way you can live and learn. And the question you need to ask yourself is, how do I live life? Do I learn and live? Or do I live and learn? There's no real litmus test for this. A lot of this is up to you, but maybe here's a place that we can start. Is, um, have, you, have you ever been to that uh, torture facility called Ikea? All right, so there's a furniture store that has everything in it just a little bit north of Cincinnati. They've infiltrated our land, and so there's one close, close, and there's a, it's, a, it's a place called Ikea. I remember going there, and it, it, made me re, it made me rethink my position on purgatory when I went there. And it's not even a match about the store itself, because the store's really neat how it's laid out. I mean, upstairs is just like room after room that looks like apartments, looks like homes. There's all this great, cool furniture that's reasonably priced and fixtures and all this stuff. And you get all excited and you can't wait to buy it all. And you, you go and you buy it and you load it all up in your boxes. And then you bring it home. And that's where purgatory begins. Because <laughs> it all comes in these boxes, Right? And you undo these boxes and it's multiple parts. Like one time Luanna and I went and we bought a table. It was a tabletop and four legs. We got it home in a box. We unboxed it and it had 61 parts in it. <laughs> right? And they have this instruction manual that comes with it that is of no help whatsoever because it has no words in it. It's, it's, the, I, I, it's, Ikea comes from, uh, from the Dutch. They come up with this, and it's an international company, and I don't know what we ever did to uh, the Netherlands, right? I thought we, we helped them in World War II, and yet, like, they've attacked us, right? And this is how they've attacked us. They've attacked our marriages, because you get these little instruction manuals, and it's got cartoon characters in it, and the cartoon characters should look like step one, go to the bank, withdraw all your money. Step two, give it to Ikea. Step three, come home. Step four, have a fight with your wife. Step five, end up in marriage counseling. <laughs> Husbands, amen, right? That's what the, that's the progression that should happen, right? But there's all these parts and pieces in there. And so how do you attack life? Do you, do you live and learn? Like, do you just 
unbox the boxes from Ikea and start trying to assemble like, okay, I've got some idea what I'm trying to build here. I'm trying to build a cabinet. And so this piece has got to go with this piece and this screw needs to probably go here. And you just try to assemble life, ignoring that little booklet and just trying to figure out by your own reason and your own logic, how things are going together. I mean, you can live life like that, but here's the case. If you live like that, if you live and you learn, you will constantly be reassembling and realigning and re-putting stuff all back together. Or life will always just feel a little wonky. You know, you put it all together and you get it and you go, I think we got it right, but it just seems a little off. And a lot of people, that's how you live your life. You live life. And as you live life, you're trying to learn as you go. You're trying to build the airplane as you fly the airplane. And the truth is though, that really doesn't work all that well. Now, hopefully again, hopefully you're, you're failing forward, you're falling forward, you're learning things, but yet there's another way to live life and that's you can learn and then you can live. And what the book of Proverbs is saying to us is that is the way that we should live life. We should learn and be learners and look at how we are to live. And then as we are learning, then we go about living. That that's the way that, um, that when we learn that God has a vision for the end design of your life, just like those pieces are in that box for a reason because they all work together because a master designer, a master craftsman, a master carpenter, a master furniture maker, he is, he's built this and then he's put it together. It's not just a bunch of random pieces dumped into a box, but there's a design in mind. There's a, there's a, there's a, a, a picture in mind, a master designer that he has, he's built this. And the same is true for life that God has built, God has designed life. And this is how life should be lived out. You come to, to learn, like people that are learning and then living, they come to understand that you can't always trust your, your intuition. You can't always trust your reason. You need to look outside of yourself for counsel and for advice. Now, listen to me. Here's, I'm not saying that the Bible is simply an instruction book for how we are to live life. I'm not saying that. I know it sounds like, oh, you're saying like it's the instruction. No, 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 I'm not saying that. But the Bible, as I, I've already said, the Bible's telling us a story. It's a story. It's the story of God. It's the story of this creation. And in this story, God creates and God creates with good intention, God, with right intention. God creates with a master design, but in the fall, everything gets messed up. What God creates, it's, it's perfect, it's good. God declares it to be good, but then sin and Satan and death, they ravish it all. And everything that God has, has built, it's sin has wrecked it. It's wrecked it all. All the pieces have been dumped out into the floor and they've all been mixed up. And in fact, some of the pieces are broken. But in Christ and through Christ, God is putting the pieces. He's putting our lives back together again. In Proverbs, it fits into that story of God by showing us, by giving us a picture and a glimpse of what life put back together under the good authority of God, what that looks like. That's what Proverbs is about. What does life put back together under the good authority of God? What does that look like? 
In Proverbs, there's uh, two characters or caricatures that, that emerge in the story, especially in the first nine chapters. As we read those, there's two people, two paths, two houses, two ways emerge. And here they are. They are the, the wise and the fool. There is wisdom and then there is folly. We even see this in the section of scripture that we read, the section of Proverbs we read earlier. The wise are those who receive God's instruction. Those who listen, those who learn, those who submit. In fact, that's what the purpose of Proverbs. Why is Proverbs being written? Well, we see this in the text. It's to know. You could, I've underlined here in a section when the text comes up, underlined no, to know wisdom and instruction. It's to understand words of insight. It's to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice, in equity. It's to give prudence to the simple. Now, the simple, whenever it's used in the book of Proverbs, it's kind of a, a benign term. It's a person who's just ignorant, who doesn't know. You're simple. You just need to know. It's equated with youth, young people, teenagers. Like those of you that have raised teenagers, you understand. The simple, they just don't know. They need to receive wisdom. They need to receive instruction. They need to receive this from scriptures. And so it, that's who the, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to youth. Verse number five, let the wise hear. That's the key. Who is those who are being wise? It's those who hear and increase in learning. It's not just you hear one time, but you're increasing. You're constantly hearing. You're always listening. Your heart and your mind is always open to the truth of God. You're always listening to the Lord. And the one who understands, he obtains guidance that God's word is guiding you. Truth and knowledge about God is guiding you. Verse number six, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We'll get back to that. That is who the, the wise are. Those that know, those that are understanding, those that are receiving, receiving truth. They're receiving instruction. They're receiving insight. They're, rece they're receiving and learning how to have wise dealings. Prudence comes along, but then there is the fool. And the fools despise wisdom and instruction. Those are the ones who reject God's wisdom, who reject God's instructions. They refuse to listen. They follow their own intuition. They make up their own rules. They do their own thing. And here's the problem. Here's the problem with the fool. The fool gets trapped into this never-ending cycle. This is what the book of Proverbs says. The first problem that they have is that they have the problem of ignorance. Now, ignorance in and of itself is not a bad thing. Now, again, they are ignorant. They're ignorant of God. They're ignorant of their own devices. They're ignorant that they're on the path of destruction. They're ignorant of how to live justly, how to live rightly, how to live prudently. They're ignorant of how to approach fame, how to approach uh, power, how to approach marriage, how to approach influence, how to approach parenting. They've got some idea, but not maybe not a full biblical idea. And they're ignorant. That's what scripture says. They're ignorant. In the fall, everything gets messed up. Everything gets broken. Our wills, our desires, all of that. And, and like, it can look good. But have you, ever, have you ever driven with a tire that's out of balance? Have you ever had a, a, a knot come up on a tire? You hit a chug, oh, boo -boo, and you tell your spouse, hey, it's okay, it's gonna be okay. But then as you drive, it just, you know, it's got a little rumble to it. You know what I'm saying? 
That's what happens to us. It's like, it's like our bikes have wrecked on a curb and, our, and, the, and the wheel of our, of our lives has been bent. So now it's like got a bend to it. The will of our lives, our desires, our understandings, our perceptions have a bend to it. But the truth is most of us, we're ignorant to that. We don't, we're ignorant to our own devices. We think in our, which is the next part, our pride we know better. So the problem is we're ignorant. We're ignorant how to approach money. For some of us, like the worst thing that can happen to us was, would be for us to hit the lottery. Like many of you, you think, man, if I just had enough money, all my problems could be remedied and could be solved with just a check. But what life teaches us and shows us constantly, you ever seen the show of the jokers that hit the lottery and then they wreck their lives by their, by their fame and by their wealth? Like we think in our minds, oh, this is what would fix the problem. But the truth is, the humble, the godly, we recognize, man, we're ignorant when it comes to this. I don't know, but the problem with the fool isn't just that they're ignorant, but here's the problem is that they're also arrogant. They're arrogant in their ignorance. They don't turn to God. The fool is too arrogant to receive instruction. So not only are they ignorant, but they're also, they are arrogant. They're the ones that Proverbs calls again and again in the Bible, that they're haughty in their own eyes. They're haughty in their own hearts. They, they see themselves higher. They see themselves smarter, better, wiser than they really genuinely are. And so they are ignorant of the true state of things. They're ignorant of their own even heart's deception. They're ignorant when it comes to thinking, but they're so arrogant that they cannot admit. They cannot listen. They cannot submit. They already know. I know, I know, I know, I know. Those of you that got teenagers, you understand that. That's the conversation you have. You need to listen to me. No, I know, I know. And the truth is, is so many of us, we never grow out of that. That remains the posture of our hearts. We already know. You don't need to tell me because I already know. And the truth is, scripture would say, no, 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 you're a fool. You don't know. No, I know. And you're constantly, again, assembling and dissembling and reshuffling and breaking and living in this like anxious, wild, crazy world where there's no peace, there's no comfort, there's no knowledge of God. Because why? What's going on? It's this spiral of your heart. You're ignorant and you're arrogant. You're too arrogant to admit your ignorance and you're too ignorant to see your own arrogance. And a lot of us, we live in this. Proverbs comes along the way to stand beside us, to break that, to show us, to instruct us, to teach us about the things of God, about the things of this world that God gives us, how to approach them, that in the garden, God creates us. He creates us in his image, which means we have dignity about us. It means there's value to our lives. And God creates us in the garden and places in the garden where we are to turn out in love toward God, toward others, and toward his creation. And what we see in the fall is all of that gets messed up. Our relationship with God gets messed up where we no longer turn outward in love and submission and worship to God. We no longer turn outward to one another. There's now warring and fighting and conflict. We don't know how to treat each other. We don't know how to love our neighbors. We don't know how to love our spouses. We don't know how to really how to rear children that love the Lord and, instru and the instruction and admonition of the Lord. And we don't know how to treat the things of God that have been created and given to us that he calls blessed things. We create them as idols or think less of them. And Proverbs comes alongside of us to teach us 
how to approach those things. How do we approach fame? And how do we approach uh, money? And how do we approach power? And how do we approach influence? Two truths, gen- general truths that we see. One of them we see in this text, and the other one we just see throughout Proverbs that I want to give to you. So just last, these will be my two main points. Number one, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. You see that in verse number seven? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That for the wise, this is the controlling principle and foundational posture of the heart of the wise. It is a proper fear of the Lord. This is step one, step two, step three, and step four. If you want to grow in wisdom, you want to stop disassembling and reassembling your life, tired of life being a little wonky, here's the key. It all begins, the controlling principle, foundational posture of the heart is to fear the Lord. Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, let's take it, we'll kind of take it in reverse. First of all is, let's look at the Lord. I want you to notice, like, these are the things that in Scripture that are so important. That when, Pro, when Solomon writes the fear of the Lord, I want you to notice in your Bible that the word Lord is all caps, capital L-O-R-D. That whenever you see in Scripture, all cap, capital L-O-R-D, that is God's name, not his title. What Solomon's giving for us here is he is saying that it's not just in recognizing that God is Lord, that would just be capital L, lowercase o-r-d, that he is Lord, he's, he's king, he's over all, he's a creator, and we're, he's not just saying that. But what he's saying here, it begins, it starts with a proper fear of the Lord. And he gives the personal name of God. That goes all the way back, even back in the book of Exodus, that when Moses is at the burning bush, and, you know, there's that exchange between Moses and God and God speaking through the burning bush. And he says, you know, says, hey, go tell Pharaoh to let all your slaves free. And Moses is basically like, hey, that sounds good, but I just don't think it's very practical, God. I just can't imagine him doing that. No, 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 I'm telling you, my power is with you. I want you to go tell Pharaoh to set my people free. And there's a point there where Moses says, okay, that's fine, but who is it that I, who should I tell him is sending and that's when God gives Moses his personal name. Now it's exchanged. It, it becomes in the Bible, it becomes, uh, God's name is so um, revered that it's not just placed in the Bible. And so it gets transposed, if you will, or it gets substituted for this title of L-O-R-D, the Lord. That's what he's saying there. It happens again with Moses. When Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and he asks, God, show me your glory. Let your glory pass before me. And God says, no, 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 I'm not going to do that because you can't handle that, right? You can't handle the truth. You can't handle to see it. But what, what, what will pass in front of you is, is my backside. And before he does that, God declares his name. And he says, the Lord, the Lord. Same here, the same name, the name Yahweh. The Lord is what he's saying. And what we come to understand from this 
is that wisdom begins with a relationship with God. That's why it's important that it's his personal name, his covenantal name. And what Solomon is saying is wisdom begins, knowledge begins, learning begins with a relationship with God. That God is a person to be known, not a topic to be debated, not a science to be studied, but he is a person to be known. It is a relationship that is to be cultivated. This personal relationship with God is made possible, it's made available through Jesus Christ. That Jesus has come to reconcile man to God. As we looked at even last week, Jesus through his flesh, he has opened up a new way for us to enter into the holies of holies, enter into presence, enter into relationship with God. And this is the beginning of wisdom because it's the greatest problem we have. Our greatest problem isn't that we are ignorant of how to spend our money or how to spend our time. The greatest problem isn't that we don't know wise living from folly and foolishness, but our greatest problem is our relationship and our communion with God has been severed and broken in the fall. Again, when our bike wrecked in the fall, it wrecked everything and the way that it is being repaired, the way that it is being put together is through Jesus and his power and knowing him. The beginning of wisdom is to know God. And so let me begin there. Do you know him? Do you know God? Not do you know some things about God, but do you know God? That God is the real, the ultimate person who is to be known. He's to be loved. He's to be trusted. He's to be obeyed. He's to be sided with. Do you know him? Are you in a right relationship with him? And what's the evidence of you knowing him? Do you spend time with him? Do you spend time with him in prayer? Do you spend time with him in his word? That when you rightly know God, you respond, you should respond rightly to your knowledge of him. And what is that response of him? The right response to a knowledge of God is fear. Fear is not being afraid of God. Not exactly. But it is the right response to God. Fear of God, when it's used in scripture, it is humble worship and loving, willful, joyful submission to him. So it starts through entering a relationship with God through Jesus to which you come to know God. And in knowing God, you respond rightly and correctly to God by fearing him, by worshiping him, by loving him, by submitting to him. To fear him means to esteem him. It means to honor him, to worship him, to be in awe of him, to tremble before him. It means that we have a reverence for God. We do not treat God flippantly. He is the triune God of the universe. He's not your homeboy. He's not your friend. He's not your buddy. He is God. Then when Isaiah gets a glimpse of God, he says that the seraphim cry out, holy, holy, holy. He is the trice 
the thrice holy God of the universe. Anytime scripture wants to emphasize something, it says it two times. Jesus shows up on the scene. Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you. Verily, verily, he's saying, most assuredly, I'm saying this to you. When we approach God for who God is, scripture records that he is the thrice holy God. That's one, two, three times holy. He is far above us. We don't send out good vibes as equivalent to praying to the God of the universe. He is the sovereign one, the almighty one. He rules and he reigns over all things and we are his creation. He is transcendent, far above us, beyond us. He is not like us, only in his incarnation of Christ is he like us and we are his creation. And as, as his creation, we submit to him. And Paul tells us in Romans, the first chapter, this is the whole problem with us. As we, we worship not the, not the creator, but what we do is we worship creation. Time and time again, we worship each other. We worship, you know what most of us, our number one object of worship is? The mirror. Like we see it in a culture that's constantly taking selfies and posting it. But most of us, even before the cell phone was invented, we worship the mirror. We worship ourselves. Not just, oh, look how beautiful I am, but most of us, look how smart I am. Look how, look how I know what's best. Look how I lead my life. Look how I'm doing it my way. Like that's part of the fall is we've said, God, we don't need you. We don't need your plan. We don't need your instruction. And what Solomon's saying here is the beginning of wisdom. Where's the genesis of wisdom? Where's the genesis of knowledge? Where's the genesis of living a godly life, the right life, the good life, under the good authority of God? That's where it starts. It starts with you realizing God is God and you are not. And when you realize that, you, you, you perk up your ears. You realize that God in his goodness, he's, he's spoken to us. He's revealed himself to us. He's revealed himself through his word. He's revealed his will to us. How am I to live? It's not a crapshoot. It's not just guess how I am to live. How am I supposed to approach my finances? How am I supposed to treat sex? How am I supposed to treat fame? How am I supposed to treat all these things? It's not just, hey, however I feel, let me feel my way through it. No, we, we humbly listen to God in his word. And when God speaks, we listen. That's a picture of Jesus. Jesus talks about his sheep, his sheep. Who are his sheep? Those that listen to the shepherd. And how has Jesus spoken to us? He's spoken to us in his word. He gives us his word. We approach Jesus rightly in that. We approach him as knowing them, him in that. We approach Jesus with submission. He is the Lord, he is God, we are not. And what do we do? What's the right, what's the right and correct posture when we come to know who Jesus is? We take a knee, we bow before him. We submit and we surrender. We, we tap out, we say, uncle. We say, we cooperate with you. We say, God, I don't wanna argue with you. I don't wanna fight with you. I don't want to accuse you. I want to submit to you. That's what it means to fear the Lord. It means that we're humble. We acknowledge that he is God and that we are not. We worship him because he's awesome and he's great. We submit to him by turning away from everything that goes against him. Everything that would offend him or grieve him or that, would, that God would not happily affirm in our lives. We, we repent of those things. We turn away from those things. We turn away from the very appearances of evil. We turn away from every indulgence of the flesh. We make no provision of our flesh. We don't dabble in rebellion and fleshly living. 
But we happily admit that he is God and he knows what's best and he is the creator and we are his creatures. And that's where wisdom begins. Here's another truth that God will not impart his wisdom to people who do not fear him. Oh, you may live your life in common sense. You may live with some folk wisdom. You may live with all sorts of cliches and sayings. You can live that kind of wisdom, but you will not live with God's wisdom unless you fear him, unless you trust him, unless you submit to him, unless you intend with your life to obey him. God will not grant his wisdom to those who do not submit to him. This is the second general principle. The first one that I gave for you is the principle that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. But let me give you this second one. Is that wisdom appears to be folly to a world without God. And this is true throughout the book of Proverbs. The world says, be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Follow your passions. But God's wisdom says, if you're going to be happy, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't trust in yourself. That there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. This world says, pursue wealth, pursue power, pursue beauty. But God's wisdom says, charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain. But the woman or the person who fears the Lord, that is the one whom will be praised. In Proverbs 30, the words of Agar, not Solomon, but Agar says this, he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. If you give me riches, he says, I, I, may, be, I may be full and, then I, and, and not be in need and I may deny you, God. I may not live with gratitude and worship of you. I may even say, he says, who is the Lord? But then he also says, but neither give me poverty, lest I'm poor and hungry and I have to steal and I have to profane the name of my God. Then in chapter nine, what we see happening in chapter nine, it's one of my favorite chapters in the book of Proverbs. Then in, in, on January the 9th, you could be reading that with us if you do that. If you were to read a proverb a day, January 9th, you'll be there. And in, Jan, and in uh, the ninth proverb, wisdom and folly are personified as two women. It says that wisdom cries out. Wisdom invites in. But there are competing voices. And the voice of folly is personified as a, person who's over a brothel. And folly, it says, is loud and seductive. But she knows nothing. And she too calls out into the streets, wooing the young and the simple into her house. The wise are those who learn to shut out the competing voices. That God's wisdom leads to life, the good life. And even as it says in Proverbs chapter nine, folly leads to death and ultimately destruction and ultimately hell. That the wisdom of this world is contradicted in the book of Proverbs time and time again. That Proverbs will sound like foolishness to this world. That we live in a world that despises God and despises the wisdom of God and it always has. In fact, we don't need to, it despises it, it hates it, it rejects it. But you may want to write it down. This world, ever since the fall, it despises God's wisdom. It rejects God's wisdom. 
It calls God's wisdom foolishness. And it doesn't let him feel like, like some kind of neutral, ambivalent, wishy-washy type feelings. This world stands in contradiction to the wisdom of God. We don't have to look any further than Jesus to see this. That Jesus, because he is God, that Jesus is the embodiment of the wisdom of God, that Jesus is the wisdom of God on display. In fact, Jesus says of himself when he comes, he says, one greater than Solomon is here. Like that's not just saying, hey, I'm smarter than Solomon. What he's saying is I'm greater than the, the Solomon was just speaking about God's wisdom. I'm God's wisdom in the flesh, the logos. It's me, the truth of God. I'm here that you can see and touch and feel. And I'm among you. One greater than Solomon is here. But those without God, the religious and the educated, but yet godless, they call Jesus a fool. They accuse him of blasphemy. Even Jesus' own brothers say that Jesus is out of his mind. And ultimately, in their wisdom, they crucified Jesus. The wisdom of God is stripped naked. He's beaten. He suffers. And he dies in shame. But in this, Jesus is fulfilling the wise plan of God. That in Jesus' sacrificial death, God is fulfilling his eternal plan set forth in the ages, Paul writes about. He's fulfilling that plan. The wisdom of God is being made manifest. It's being made known through Jesus that God is fulfilling his eternal plan of glorifying himself and purchasing a people for himself and defeating all of his enemies. And how is he doing that? He's doing that through the cross of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That the preaching of that good news, that the pointing to that good news, that to those who are perishing, those who are bound eternally up in their own folly, that to them, they look at what God declares as wisdom and they say that is foolishness. That to a godless world, Jesus dying on a cross, Jesus triumphing over his enemies through his sacrificial death and bodily resurrection, they're saying all of that is foolishness. For the Lord to call upon us to believe in him, to trust in him, to come and to know him, to be forgiven and made right with him, that all of that is foolishness not just to believe in God. And they're saying, hey, if you believe in God, then that's foolishness. They're saying that the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, believing in the finished work of Christ, that is foolishness to this world. But what Paul says for those of us that is being saved, that this is the very, the very power of God. That to say that one must be reconciled to God through faith in a savior, the world says that that is foolishness, but God says that is the very power of God by which you and I are being saved. There are tons of competing voices out there. Whose voice will you hear? Who are you submitted to? Who are you listening to? May Christ reconcile us to himself. May he rightly show us who he is that we may respond rightly to him in relationship to him. Let's pray. Jesus.
Thank you that you have put your wisdom on display for us. Jesus, it's my prayer that as we come and we believe in this gospel, what the world calls foolishness, that we would know that it's through this that we are being saved, that we are being sanctified, that we are growing, that we are growing in, in likeness to you, that it's the, it's the power being made evident in our lives, this that the world calls foolishness, that for us, may we savor it. May we savor it, even this morning as we have opportunity to know it and to believe it. It's your name we pray. Amen.